Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. Now, starting us off in DC is Harley Quinn number 34. This is the final issue by the current creative team of Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, with art by uh, Chad Harden and John Timms. And it's, it, they've, they've been doing this for not only this entire volume, but I think the entire previous one. Like it said at the end of this, they've done like a hundred issues straight, and that may count all the quarterly specials or whatnot. Um, but they've had a, a long and enjoyable run with Harley, uh, doing a pretty good job. But I've got to say, as far as issues to end a run on, this one left me a little bit cold. Um, there are a couple of things they kind of poke fun at at the issue. Uh, you know, too many supporting characters, constant costume changes, and stuff like that. And that all kind of rang a bit true to me. And just the cover they've got on this comic shows just how many supporting cast members they've got, or have had over time. And it's one of those books where a lot of things happen, but not a lot of kind of plot-critical things happen, if you know what I mean. And it's, again, this issue had some of that where it's a, you know, let's, let's go have a bar fight so they can get thrown in jail, so they can get pulled out of jail, so they can go do this, go do this. And it's kind of a, you know, and wackiness ensues sort of a thing, which makes for a really fun read. But if you were to, to quiz me on, you know, what has happened over the run or whatever, uh, it'd be a little hard for me to answer some of that because it just doesn't stick with me as much. And there was a, a part of this issue at the end where they, very blatantly break the fourth wall, if not downright shatter it, by having uh, Connor and Palmiotti as characters in the comic. And Harley's kind of a, how did you do, why did you do this to me sort of a thing, because she knows they're writing her comic. And, I mean, I get what they were going for there. It was it was fun, it was cute, but it didn't entirely work for me. But it's one of those things, it's easy to to nitpick on some of these things, but it's still... A denser comic than most, with a lot more material in it. It's got really good art, and the writing, while very whimsical, is well done. So I'm kind of, you know, a little torn on that. How did it work for you? Um, I'm not. I'm not reading this regularly. Uh, I check it out periodically to see if it's uh, any better, and it usually isn't. So I, I don't. It's not. It's not a bad comic by any means, but it's not good enough for for my pull list. And so this was. One of the better ones that I've sampled. Um, I really, I've always enjoyed the Ivy and Harley dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like them together, and I think that's that's really the direction the characters should go with the next writing uh, and creative team. I'm hoping that's the direction they'll go, um, keeping them together, keeping the Joker out of it. I just think that's a problematic pairing, and uh, it it doesn't work as well. Kind of works in um, White Knight, but uh, that's that's a different different universe altogether but um for 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 me i like uh some of the jokes i guess um most of them i find corny i i i I don't blame them if you've done a hundred issues of something and you want to put yourself in the comic you know as creators i think you're okay to do so you know some other creators go to that well a little more often Mm -hmm. and uh and it uh, i don't like it i mean i i don't need to be reminded that i'm reading a work of someone's imagination you know I don't, I, so yeah occasionally i guess it's okay but thank god they don't they don't do this a lot i don't think at least from my experience i i thought it was fun but uh fun but forgettable i guess and just like most of the other ones that i've read i um i think this is a little better than some of the other ones i've sampled but i'm really interested in what the next creator does uh, i think it's frank Thierry. Yeah, I'm curious it is. what direction he goes in, and um, and we'll we'll see, we'll see. It, this is just okay for me. 
Yeah, it's kind of how I felt. I mean, there's nothing bad about it. It's certainly uh, this issue and the series has, has had its moments. And I guess part of it for me is it's a different storytelling than I kind of gravitate towards in some respects. Because there's almost a, hey, new shiny object every couple of pages. And man, sometimes the uh, the scene changes are fairly abrupt. I mean, there was one time in this issue where Harley was like, oh my god, we're on a boat. How did this happen? When? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering that too. You know, that's not where I was on the previous page before I flipped. And it allows them to, to gloss over inconvenient parts of the story or things that would slow it down or whatever. And I think that's part of how they're able to get as much material in as they do. But it's a matter of, it makes for a bit of a jumpy read. And I don't know, it's... And the, the parent, the whole parent and, and brother spot um, storyline was kind of where it went off the rails for me. It, you know, it was, you know, that was a way to them for them to get bailed out. And I don't know that you've met the parents and family before. Maybe you have recently. Uh, have you? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't, I don't feel that they did anything here and they were necessary for anything. Um, well, and, and that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at because I would say there's a lot of things. Uh, the bar fight was, was not really necessary to an overall plot. If, I mean, if there's an overall plot to this issue, I'm a little hard pressed to name what it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess there isn't, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it just, it was just a series of vignettes and scenes and, um, how do we get from here to there? Well, let's bring this character in to move it along. Okay. Well, now what do we do with that person? Ah, don't worry about it. We'll move on to the next scene. And there's a lot of that here. And it can be a group of scenes that are somewhat enjoyable and funny. Um, Some work better than others. But there's really no through line and no connective tissue. Well, the plot serves to tie the things together and that's it. And the way you were describing it there, I think, is right on the money. It's a great description. It also is kind of how I would describe a typical Jackie Chan film. The plot is just enough to string the action sequences together and give it some semblance of story. But you're not there for the story. You're there in Jackie Chan films for the action scenes and such. Mm-hmm. Here for the, the more comedic bits or what have you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking for a in-depth plot or something like that, yeah, you're going to gonna come away wanting. I will give this creative team... Um props for you know adapting the cinematic version of harley quinn's look i think it's an improvement on the original and it it it's i, I think it's it's a it's a good look and it'll it's a it'll be a lasting look going forward i, I would hope that the new creators don't abandon that if or if dc editor will even let them yeah i, I don't know um i would have appreciated it if they had made at least a, a passing remark to how Harley's been able to have her own book and be in the Suicide Squad, where she's literally under lock and key in in Bel Rev simultaneously. Hyper time. <laughs> well, I mean, this was the perfect issue to make kind of a snide remark about that or something, and and they didn't. So I, I they don't even bother. Yeah, they do not even bother. Yeah. So that seemed like a missed opportunity. Again, it, it was a it was a fine issue. It was a fun read, but it's kind of that roller coaster ride. Don't stop and think about it too much because, you know, if you're trying to, to hook the plot points together or whatnot, you, it, you're you not going to get anywhere. Yeah, exactly. I do think, though, it's got a – it's been a good run. It's been a solid run um, with some terrific art and such. And the next creative team has a tough act to follow um, because I think this run is going to be one of the hallmark ones for kind of who is Harley. Yeah, and it really surprises me they're giving it to Frank Thierry because it doesn't really have the – track record of success um from a sales standpoint that you would think they would want on a character like harley who is if not an a-list character is definitely at the bb plus level at this point and you know uh, you know leads you know putting her in a book you know sells comics so they they really i would have thought would have tried to do a little uh bring in a heavy hitter or maybe maybe Frank Tierra is just holding the place until Bendis comes over and is fully ingratiated. I don't know, um, but it was a, that's a surprise pick to me. I, I really don't see Bendis taking this book over. <laughs> you never know. There are other writers I think would be interesting choices. Um, some that have done ones with a more comedic bent or whatever. 
Uh, Peter David is one name that comes to mind, but I don't know. Thierry may do a, a fine job on it. Uh, we'll find out. It's just a question of how radical of a change is it from, from what we've had right now? And even if it's a radical change, is it a better one? Is it not? I mean, does she stay in, in Coney Island? Does she head back to Gotham? You know, where does she go and, and how does that work? So yeah, I don't know. And, I'm curious. Yeah. And what's next for, um, Paul Miotti and, and Amanda Connor, you know, did they, are they a team? Do they go somewhere and take on another book, uh, together? Do they go their separate ways to work on stuff? I'm, I'm curious. I'm pretty sure they're husband and wife, so I don't right, see them splitting up after this. But uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, it doesn't mean they have I to know. work together. I mean, they, True. they both. They can both work on books separately. It would not surprise me if there's a creator own book waiting in the wings. Just they've been doing a, a company property for a while. They may decide to go creator own for a little bit, but don't know. I think they're exclusive. Oh, are they? Yeah. Well, so much for that then. And I don't know if you can get away with that as much as you could before. Because they, they remember that Aftershock book that I like so much that uh, they cut short at six issues um, about the girl with the, the that stowed away on the. Oh, uh, Super Zero. Super Zero. Yeah. Um, kind of that, that one kind of got punched up or got finished up early, early because of the exclusive contract. So I'm curious, unless it's ran its course, maybe it was so many years. I think it ran its course in so much as most Aftershock books don't seem to go longer than about five issues, at least from what I've seen. They may do a series of miniseries like with um, Rough Riders. Yeah, it just wasn't buttoned up uh, like you would button up a story if you weren't going to revisit it again. Um, but I was thinking maybe their exclusive contract was only for so long. I don't, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm curious. I'm curious what the next steps are for these guys. And um, But as far as this this issue's concerned good not great for me and i'm gonna go with the b minus that's exactly where i'm at it's uh it's an enjoyable read but it's not one that i think people really need to go seek out if it's not already on their pull list yeah if they do they'll probably enjoy it but there's other stuff out there and speaking of other stuff out there shall we move over to our marvel book yes this is X-Men Gold Annual Number 1. This is uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Excalibur team. Uh, did you ever read Excalibur? You know, I don't think I ever finished it. I read a little bit of it a long time ago. But you've read some, so you've got a f- uh, familiarity yeah. with the team and, and who's on it and such. All mm-hmm. right. Um, I was a big fan of it. It was some, some great stuff, had some great creators on it throughout. Um, there were definitely high points and low points, as with any series. Um, but just getting kind of the, the core lineup back together after so long was kind of cool. There were a couple of things about this that, uh, surprised me, um, particularly early on. I, I don't typically, uh, tend to read too much of the, the previously in kind of a deal because, well, I've, I've read most of what they're referencing. But for whatever reason, I did. And I noticed that this is set between X-Men Gold number 22 and 23. And what's odd about that is number 19 of X-Men Gold came out last week. So this story is somehow set around, I don't know, the end of February, beginning of March. It's like, well, then why not just release it then? I, that that sort of thing just sort of bothers me a little bit. It's like you're, you're I don't say fudging your continuity, but you're putting books out when it's convenient for you, not when they fall in the sequence. And there were a couple of things in this whole backstory of this Starhammer fellow uh, where they included a couple of footnotes and I'm like wow footnotes haven't seen those in a while well as as far as annuals go I'm used to them coming out towards the end of a year and not at the beginning of a year um, is is that in your experience I was gonna say typically uh, summer okay. okay um you go back to a lot of the uh, like the Atlantis attacks and other annual events that Marvel did back in the day and they tended to be summer. Um, DC tends to do it on the fifth week, uh, and that way they can keep kind of their cadence of regular issues coming out and then fill that, that fifth week a couple of times a year, uh, with a couple of annuals or whatnot. Uh, Marvel, I haven't found any rhyme or reason, to be honest. I haven't really looked too deep either. And usually Um, after a dozen months worth of comics, correct? Uh, sometimes, yeah, not always. Sometimes it comes down to where it's convenient in the story flow, I guess. Mm. You know, because uh, at one point, annuals were used to kind of wrap up a major storyline or kick off a new one. Um, 
but these days they tend to be standalone one-shots that are sometimes by a different creative team and sometimes not tightly connected to the the title that they're the annual for. So my expectation that a, 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 a title have 12 months worth of content before it puts out an annual is not right. There is, is no such requirement. Uh, it's not an unreasonable expectation either. Okay. I just, I just, yeah, just, I always, for some reason in my head, well, it's been, a, it's been out about a year. Yeah, of course they can have an annual, but I guess that doesn't, that's not necessarily the case. Anyway, thank you for indulging me in that conversation. <laughs> no, it's, that's, it's, it, I mean, it, to me, it's, it's a fair question of, well, what's the point of an annual? And I can see a number of different approaches to, to doing it. Here, um, since X-Men Gold has three of the members of, of Excalibur using it as a, an anniversary for Excalibur, that makes sense to me. You know, having that main storyline tie into stuff from, what was it, uh, Uncanny X-Men 135 and uh, Uncanny X-Men 387. I mean, I've, I, I know I've read at least the, the 387. I, I'm, if I read one uh, thirty-five, it would have been in reprints. That came out in like July nineteen eighty, mm-hmm. and then the other one in, in December two thousand. So even the more recent of the two is closing in on twenty years old. So it's like okay, you're pulling some old story things here. So uh, and personally, I thought this Starhammer fellow was completely forgettable because, like I said, I'd read his previous appearance and had completely forgotten him. Um, I'm trying to remember if that was the storyline in which. And I don't think it was, but there was one storyline where some alien race was wiping out everybody related to uh, to Jean Grey in any way, shape, or form, just as a, a way to preclude the Phoenix from coming back. I think that was uh, three or four Phoenix resurrections ago, though, so it, it clearly didn't work. Um, I liked this. There were a couple of things that just... Uh, they've got the new kid, uh, Captain Britain and, and uh, uh, Megan. And she's a, she's three months old. She's talking. She's a genius. So yet another child prodigy in the Marvel universe. Wonder what rank she'll be. I'm wondering <laughs> if if yeah, if Moon Girl has has reassessed her rank in the last three months. <laughs> she she may bump down to two. That'd be an interesting sort of a deal. You know, you toss in if we had uh, Valeria Richards. You could have Moon Girl babysitting Valeria, who's babysitting, uh, uh, what's this kid's name? Uh, Maggie. And they could, yeah, have a little uh, trivia contest or something to, to yeah. set it off. Yeah, it'd be great. Be, be hilarious. But early in the story, uh, Megan's kind of uncomfortable because she's learned to read as an adult. She's struggling with, with, you know, certain things. She's not the brightest of, she's more empathetic than intelligent. Although she's also, you know, a wonderful character and stuff. But while she's kind of bemusing that and and a little upset with that, she storms off into a closet. And there's a line of, life is too short to cry in a closet. And I'm like, this is a closet? This room is huge. I mean, I've seen stores that are smaller than this thing. Just just how big is that lighthouse they've got? You know, they're, they're, it was the same thing when they had the flight across the Atlantic or whatnot. And they're flying commercial. And there are other characters, you know, scattered throughout the one shot we get of the plane, you know. Look like Deadpool, Warlock, and a few others. And of course, the the perspective we're at, it looks like there's, you know, it's like a two-story plane or something because it's so high with the roof. But I mean, you gotta gotta fudge that, otherwise you can't really draw inside of a plane. Um, it was a fun story. I like uh, Maggie Braddock, uh, but the the young genius bit, um, I, they've they've done it a few times. You know, it was a fun excuse, though, to reunite uh, most of Excalibur. I'd like to have had a few of the other characters. It's just one of those things that there are a few things that I was kind of expecting out of the the comic from the solicit, like, you know, Kitty's Shadowcat costume. It was mentioned. It was never shown. And I'm like, come on, if you're going to get her back with this team, you know, at least get her in the right outfit. Um, but it was one of those... It. Uh, I don't think it's going to amount to a whole lot moving forward, other than they've set up a status quo change for Captain Britain and stuff. But it was a really fun read. It was uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it, and I do recommend it. I thought the backup story, while a little lightweight and really could have shown up pretty much anywhere in a, a Marvel uh, X-Men book, uh, this was a fine place to put it, and was a nice uh, kind of a, a uplifting story. 
Yeah, I, the highlight for me was the relationship between, um, you know, the the introduction of the baby and and it it with Kurt. Um, I'm a, you know, Night Nightcrawler is probably my favorite of all these characters here. So that that that's kind of the standout for me. And when their interactions were fun and and the whole the whole genius baby, I, I enjoyed that part of it. Um, you know, the rest I was less enthused about. I didn't, it didn't hit any buttons for me, uh, because of my lack of real, uh, excitement for Excalibur anyway. And the fact that I'm not an X man, longtime X men reader, um, that probably doesn't, that probably doesn't help. So all those kind of, uh, make this a, a an, an average read for me. And, um, with with some some things that I I did enjoy I I, I did enjoy the uh, the kid stuff that that was fun and uh, I I I if if that's something in a future solicit that would that would perk my, perk me up and and make me want to check that out. Um, other than that, it it's kind of lackluster and uh, yeah the the backup I barely remember so um, it was one of the first ones I read uh, in the stack so it's a while ago but I barely remember that backup story. It was basically uh, a girl with her aunt in New York who wanted to meet uh, the X-Men. So they're chasing him essentially all over town, which on the surface seems like a really dangerous thing to do. <laughs> but they do that. Uh, kids got to go. So they're, they're at the train station. He's like, oh, man, I didn't get to meet him, but, you know, whatever. And Storm just happens to come by to help clean up the mess from earlier or something. And so they get to meet and, and whatnot. And... Yeah, it was, it was basically going on the whole mutant hysteria and, um, uh, how everybody, it's like, yeah, they've, they've saved the day, but all oh, those damn mutants or whatever, you know? So it was, um, it, it fit the X-Men, I don't say genre, but you know what I mean? The, the, the mutant, um, prejudice stuff in a, a fun way, interesting way and ended on a, a solid, you know, upbeat note. Um, Art was a little a little lacking in the in that backup feature. Yeah, I would say even the, the front one, it was you know so so. I mean, it was it, none of this was oh my god art. But um, I'm trying to think who was one of the classic artists who dealt with Excalibur because they had just some phenomenal artists. And I I should remember who this is. Um, yeah, it's, I'm the backup is is Monty Nero, Jabril Morissette fan on art and uh, Mike Garland doing the colors. Yeah. Not the, not the A team. No, but again, I think anyone you put on to an Excalibur reunion is going to get compared to some of the just phenomenal artists they had back in the day. So you would think, Hey, put an a, a list artist on this or whatever, but you know, they, they get what they get. Um, and it wasn't atrocious or anything, but there were certainly the backup was a lot more lackluster than, than the lead. And even that, um, is not something I would necessarily show as a, a, a pinnacle of comic book art. It was good. It was solid. But, you know, a lot of this, while I enjoyed it, I can't say that this was the best comic done or even, you know, kind of close to that. It was enjoyable for me, but I've also got a long history with these characters. Yeah, I mean, by and large, annuals, I'm I'm not all in. So annuals are something that I, I pick and choose depending on how much I, uh, I'm enjoying that series. So, you know, a Batman annual I'll grab, um, something that is, I'm not enjoying as much, maybe maybe not. So this is not something I would normally get because I'm not really getting this title. So uh, that probably had a lot to do with the fact that it, it was just slightly above average for me. Um, art's okay. Some some fun stuff in a, in a in part of the story. Um, I didn't I think it was kind of touching with the godparent thing and everything. So that, that worked with the baby. Um, mm-hmm. But other than, other than that, it, it, it's just okay for me. So I'm going to go with a C minus. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with a, a, a B plus. Like I said, I enjoy these characters. It was fun seeing Excalibur back together. Uh, but I can see where you're coming from too. And I think that's a little bit of the risk with almost any annual. Is it's really a mixed bag as to you get the best of the property or just what a story they've kind of got lying around. And here, I felt we got a little of both. I thought the execution could have used a little improvement. But I thought some of what they were trying to do in both the lead and the backup story um, really had a lot of promise. Mm. And I felt there was enough heart and soul or whatever with, again, 
you know, why do these three characters go all the way over to, to, to Britain, you know, on the spur of a moment or whatever. And again, just again, the, the kind of the callbacks and stuff like that to the Excalibur series. That's one that just had some phenomenal uh, high points and stuff and is well worth checking out if you haven't read it or continuing to read if you've started and haven't finished. So with that, shall we move on to our other book? Sure. This is either uh, BSG versus BSG or Battlestar Galactica versus Battlestar Galactica or some combination thereof. Take your pick. It's the first issue. This is by Dynamite. We've got uh, Peter David on the writing here. Um, I've watched uh, all of both shows, um, including the uh, Galactica 80 uh, second season for the original series. How familiar are you with the two versions of Battlestar Galactica? Half of one episode of the original that was on reruns. How about the new one? None. Wow. Okay, so you're coming at this completely cold. Nope. Never never watched a, a single episode. All right. Well, the... Uh, this the is a sci-fi show, right? The Resurgence? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. okay. Uh, the text on the first page was uh, taken verbatim from the opening of the original series. Uh, and there may be some people who doubt that, but that's only because when they re-aired it later, they trimmed a little bit here. Um, and it was uh, uh, Patrick McNee from, um, I guess, the Avengers or whatever, who did the voiceover. The, the British Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers, just to be clear. It's interesting because the this issue picks up apparently like right after the two-parter with the Pegasus from the original series, where it's like, well, was it destroyed by the base stars or not? And it's like, in the series, you never know. Here, it's like, well, apparently it survived because we follow them. And the entire issue is from the perspective of the original series with the Adama from the, the sci-fi version, the later version, making a cameo there at the end just to say, oh, yeah, we, we are going to have the two, two meet. Um, and it's interesting because I had uh, read the, the press version of this because I had passed on this. And part of it was, while I really enjoyed the original series, I was really uh, – I had very, very mixed feelings on the new series – Parts of it I loved. I thought some of it was great. Parts of it I thought were atrocious. And uh, almost that Ron Moore, the the creator of the new version, should have been a little ashamed of himself. I mean, when you start almost every episode with the Cylons have a plan, and it turns out they really don't. It's like, dudes, you've been telling us this for, for years now. That's what you had? And I thought the the ending of the new series for me fell completely flat. So, on the grounds of, I don't know how these two things that are radically different takes on the same premise were going to mesh together, I said, eh, I don't need to get this, I got plenty, but when you said, hey, let's review it, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I'm glad I did, because I liked this more than I expected, but I also expected more of the newer show characters or version of of them to appear than than did, because they were a non-entity in here for all intents and purposes. And the original series was an action-adventure show, kind of like a, a high-energy kind of a, a, or you know, like a Star Wars kind of a thing. Whereas the newer show was an almost more cerebral war story kind of a thing, and it had action here and there, but it was almost like a World War II era kind of a show. I would compare it almost more to, like, Baba Black Sheep than the original Battlestar Galactica in many respects. And again, how they're going to jive the two sensibilities i'm not sure but peter david did a a a very good job on this i was entertained i liked it i don't know if i'm gonna continue with it or not though how did it work for you since you're coming in cold with (laughs) maybe at best a conceptual knowledge of the property kind of like that last licensed property that we reviewed that um you said work for you better the second time you read it because you had re- uh, re- rewatched. Yeah, yeah, it it I, it had me at about that same level of interest. Um, uh, there was kind of one shining moment I think for out of this was was the whole Cylon. There's two Cylons in, in this, and one is the Cylon from the original, and I guess this is the the Cylon from this uh, this world. And and it's it's not what they expect it to be, and that was kind of interesting. Um, and I I found that that someone that, that made me want to read a little more. Um, art's okay. 
Um, other than that, I, I think my lack of knowledge didn't help uh, me with any of who, who any of these characters are. Maybe maybe they're really easy. Everybody knows them. That that's familiar with the property. No. Maybe not. Um, I was I was waiting for uh, you know some look at a photo reference version of that original series some of the actors from that original series or from, I think was Jerry Ryan in the new version. Was she an actress? I don't believe so. No. Okay. I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking of something else, some other sci-fi thing, but I was waiting for some kind of photo reference, recognizable actor that I could say, Oh yes. Oh yes. I see what they're going for. And I never, I never got that. So uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of lost. Um, nah, nothing here for me. These, you know, when, when, you're reading a licensed property for the most part, you've got to have a kind of a love of that original content, uh, to want, to want more of it. Um, I think uh, there's been, there've been exceptions. Um, I, I but, say, I don't agree with that. I think if it's well done, you should be able to come at it as if it's a new property. Yeah. I think yes. rarely is it done in that manner. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think the librarians were one of the, a recent example of, of yeah. one that was done really well. Um, and Ben was able to pull me in despite my lack of uh, being all in on the original series. Um, so yeah, but th- this didn't this didn't do, have that hook. Didn't have that same uh, quality there that really kept me flipping pages and excited about um, what was to come. So um, pretty much a miss for me, and not something that I'll read or recommend uh, to anyone else. Well, it's interesting because I would say of the two versions of the show, the more current one is stuff people would be more likely to remember just because it's newer and it ran mm-hmm. for much longer. Yeah. And none of those characters show up. And out of the old show, uh, which ran for a season and then there was a, a 10 episode quote unquote second season, but it was for all intents and purposes, it was a, a sequel show, not a, a, a true second season. Um, the characters that show up here, uh, for the most part, are from only two episodes of that first season, uh, the two-parter with the Pegasus. So it's not even like most of these characters are the main characters. Um, we get Adama, we get Sheba, and a few others, um, here, but most of it is, is on, uh, Commander Kane and the Pegasus. Kane, of course, was pay, uh, played by Lloyd Bridges, so... Yeah, I'm not going to say they nailed the likeness, but it was uh, at least familiar-ish enough that it's like, okay, I, I, you're telling me that's Kane? I'll, I'll go with that. One of the things that I think is a common thread between both versions of the show is we never learn who created the Cylons. So the character we get introduced here as filling that role is, as far as I know, brand new. So I think uh, they're they're charting some new ground here. I think that's going to be interesting. Um, but I think there's also a lot here that it doesn't have the same problem that that Stargate Atlantis, uh, issue had where it was like picking up right on the heels of a series that ended 10 years prior. And if you hadn't just watched that, that finale, you're like, like I was, it's like, I'm lost here. This is picking up on the heels of a two parter that aired, uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 78 thereabouts. So, uh, quite some time ago. Um, but I think they at least tried to be uh, a lot more accessible here as I would kind of expect from Peter David. Uh, it's clear he's a fan of, of the show, but it did start in a direction that I, I wasn't quite expecting. And I'm not sure how, I mean, I'm assuming we're going to get a lot more of the other characters, uh, in the next few, few issues and stuff. All that having been said, like I said, I don't know if I'm going to continue with it or not. Uh, if people have thoughts either way on that, I'd love to hear it. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I'm going to go with a, a B on this. Um, it captured enough of the sensibility uh, to be interesting. And it's kind of like how when we did the, um, I think it was the Star Wars, uh, no, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek Planet of the Apes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the first issue was all Star Trek and no Planet <laughs> of the Apes for the most part. Yeah, but it kind of righted the ship as it went along. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those, if you're coming from the, the other perspective of the, 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 property that got the short end of the script it's like i don't know about this but for me here i'm coming at it with the one that got the lion's share of the script so i was happy so it's it's something that could easily be considered a fault or a, a downside to to the thing wound up being an upside for me mm-hmm. on this yeah it didn't didn't work for me and most levels 
And so I'm not going to continue with it. And um, I probably wouldn't recommend it to anybody but the diehardest of uh, Battlestar Galactica fans. Uh, I'm going to go with a D plus. All right. I would say if you're a diehard fan of the new Galactica and not the old one, um, you might have a hard time with this issue. And even even then, with a caveat. <laughs> well, yeah. I used to work with somebody who was just went nuts over the new series. Yeah. And it had its moments. Uh, it certainly had some great stuff, but there were a few things I'm like, wow, they just glossed over this, which could have been a, a really interesting point in the series. But no, they wanted to move on to something else. Yeah. So I, like I said, I had some, some major issues with the, uh, the writing on the newer series. So I have, uh, I've read a few comics since, uh, since we talked last, but not a whole lot. Oh, um, so you are not current. I am not current. Um, um, how about Old Man Hawkeye? Did you enjoy Old Man Hawkeye? I might when I read it. No, nah, I haven't read that. I thought that was really good. Um, I am enjoying the weekly Avengers thing that they're doing. That's kind of fun. Um, you so know, far, it's it's, so. it's funny you mention that because I, I haven't read that yet, and part of why I haven't read that is um, I've switched over to to Cowabunga for my comics, and this was my my second full shipment. I'd gotten one that had the previews or whatever before it, but what I'm finding is there are a couple of things that are a little bit late, and therefore my order was through DCBS, and I'm still waiting for for kind of that next shipment to come. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, so I've got a, a about. 20 or so comics that have been piling up for the last week or two that'll come when that shipment comes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, um, let's see, uh, Punisher, uh, is, is the war machine Punisher. And it's been a lot of fun with Matthew Rosenberg at the helm. I think he's, he's doing some fun stuff with that. And, um, I think he's all, he also wrote the secret warriors finale, uh, for issue 12. That was this also this week. And also a lot of fun, and it was a really cool letters page about uh, kind of playing in that sandbox and the end and how they kind of knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to be around very long and and uh, tried to have as much fun as they could while they were writing it. And that was that was really cool. Uh, it's cool to see a creator that enthused and has that much fun with it. And I, I really am starting to um, to seek out Rosenberg penned comics. I think he's got it. Or style that really resonates with me. I can understand that, but it does uh, kind of point out the fact that at the end of many titles, we get kind of that swan, swan song letter page or whatever of, you know, oh, I'm so sorry to see it go. I had a fun, uh, a fun time or whatever they have to say, you know. Um, and we're getting that on a, you know, at least once a year in most titles these days. Yeah, I had. It, there hasn't been as many. There was a bunch of them kind of in a cluster for me uh, that I read like back to back to back. And I was like, Jesus, is this going to be all the time? Um, and I hadn't read one for a while. So it, it was nice. It was nice to see the, uh, see one again because it was it was well written. Sometimes it's just, uh, you know, each creator that's on the book writes a paragraph and I don't care much for those. But I like when there's like a whoever was kind of in charge of the vision, you know, takes the lion's share of of claiming that backspace. It kind of I enjoy that. I enjoy it. It's it's usually a fairly good insight or whatnot. But when did that become kind of the the standard practice? And I mean, it's it's weird because we get that on some books, and others just quietly fade away, never to be seen again, with no clear. Yes, it's over. Yeah, and some of them. It's it. I guess it maybe it's the ones that have letter columns, <laughs> kind of lend themselves more to being able to fill that space with whatever they want. And some of them don't do letter columns, so you don't get that as much. Certainly, I think that's a factor. Um, but it's it's just weird. I'm sure that when the uh, the current Iron Fist story ends or that series ends, we'll get some such you know uh, text piece, which mm -hmm. is in direct opposition to when one of them ended. I th think it was before the Fraction run. Yeah, where it's just they just stopped soliciting it, and it took a while. I think for most people to realize, I, I guess it's no longer coming out. I did read one a few weeks ago in the um, Black Eyed Kids 15, uh, the back of the back matter for that. And this is Aftershock book. And Joe Pruitt, who writes that book, wrote about this being the end of of the first season um, and called those first 15 issues uh, the first season. And there may never be another season um, that just the 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 month to month sales 
and the economics of the business for Aftershock and kind of went into the details of what it wasn't quite um, what they needed to continue. So it's going on the shelf and um, it was very business business like and. Uh, I, we know you, we know you like, like this. Um, there's a subset of you that enjoy this book and, um, not enough of you that, uh, can, can, can maintain this thing in print and floppy. So you may see a second season and you may not. And it was a, a quite a, a cliffhanger and a real bummer to kind of end that way. And it, you know, the, you know, things can't go on indefinitely just because people like to write them. You know, they have to make some money. So exactly. Um, yeah. So, sometimes it's, you know, I don't, I don't feel the same as I, uh, for corporate comics as I do for, um, creator owned stuff because it, there's a very likely chance the creator owned stuff is never, ever going to come back when it ends. And, um, th- that's, that's kind of sad sometimes, especially when I've been enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the Mr. Miracle, was hyped through the roof uh number six when it came out and um as i started to read it i knew exactly where it was going from the very beginning having had similar conversations with my wife at similar stages in our life i was like i know exactly where he's what he's going for here and it and it turned to be um born out that way so it was um <laughs> that was that was both fun and a little disappointing i thought it'd be a little more exciting than than it was <laughs> Yeah, I haven't gotten to that one yet either. Did you um, read um, the second Monstro Mechanica? I haven't read that one yet. Um, you you really liked the the first one. Um, how how's the second one working? I thought it uh, kept up the all the strengths and stuff. So if you like the first one, you'll like the second. If you didn't, you you probably won't. But it uh, it continued along nicely. Yeah, this is this is the um, deciding issue for me on the second one. I'll I'll figure out whether I want to go forward or not because. Um, Another great issue of Royal City, um, the Jeff Lemire book over at Image, uh, issue nine was fantastic. Um, and it's probably taking a break as well while he does some other things. He's got a ton of books in the coming down the, the pipeline. Um, I thought Port of Earth number three was really, really good. And that was that, I think you, I don't think you continued with that one. That was the one we were, I have continued with that. Okay. Okay. I gave it another couple of issues and I'm warming up to it. Yeah. Um, they seem to be cutting between the interview uh, in the future or whatever, and then the backstory of kind of how they got to there. Yeah. And then uh, Eternal Empire by the creative team behind um, Alex and Ada. Uh, it's on issue six now, and uh, I I think that's enough for me. <laughs> and you got off you got off that train early. No, as, I'm still on that one. Oh, I are you? Just haven't I, read this this latest issue. I kind of th- I I got the sense that you weren't going to read that any more of that. Um, um, I've had enough good stuff from that creative team and and uh, yeah, yeah. Jonathan Luna that I gave it a little longer leash than I might have otherwise. It is pretty to look at, um, but I I just didn't didn't like the direction it's going. I don't know if I want to stick around or not. Sometimes that happens. I, I've liked the later issues a little bit more than the first because I thought the first was all set up, no payoff. Yeah, but it's one of those that they they do need to get somewhere and. A reasonable time frame. New slots also good. I think issue four was really good and um, continues to uh, have some unlikable characters to follow, but uh, they're they're kind of warm winning me over. How about uh, Mighty Crusaders number two? No, oh, no. How does that work for you? Um, I enjoyed it a lot more. It seemed to be a little bit more focused. I thought uh, on some of the characters, the ones I tended to like better, but it does uh, still make me wonder the tone and style they're going for here. I really think Archie is at a potentially pivotal point for the company because they seem to be grasping at a lot of things that are not traditional Archie uh, with the kind of the horror take on their characters. They've got this, the, the other uh, Black Circle stuff. Yeah. And uh, these are all very valid creative decisions and whatnot. It's just this is not the Archie we had a few years ago, the company. True, uh, true. Speaking of which, did you read Archie's Four with the uh, the monkeys guest starring appearance? I have it. I haven't read that one, but I did read Archie Twenty Seven that came out this week. Yeah, also good. But the only reason I got the Archies was because the monkeys were in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I figured. I know you had mentioned a long time ago that something about uh, the need for at least a, a limited series monkeys series or something, somebody to pick that up, and and here it was. 
here here it is. Unless it was maybe it was in preview spotlight that you had mentioned something about that. I had mentioned that specific issue on the preview spotlight. Yeah, that might have been it. And uh, I mean, part of why I haven't read too much of this week's comics is uh, both the December numbers and the year end numbers came out. So I've had a little bit of of stuff to do, kind of crunching all that and getting that all set up. But I am looking forward to those. Uh, beyond that, I haven't read a whole lot else this week. Uh, action comics, which I'm still enjoying with the Booster Gold storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, X-Men Blue uh, was actually uh, number 19, uh, I think, a pivotal issue for that uh, property. Oh. Because I think it provides some some insight into the bigger picture of what's going on with those time-displaced young X-Men. So, Or it could just be a complete, you know... A red herring, and they've got me along for the ride. Either way, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> now, did you get year-end numbers from Diamonds yet? Or yes. just December? Both. Oh, good. Um, it would be nice to get back on... There'll be a hole in your podcasting schedule. There, there, that one missing yearly mayo. But uh, it would be nice to get, get it back on that again. Yeah, and I haven't uh, totally you know, disregarded the, the possibility of retroactively doing the 2016 just with the the data i do have on what came out over the year Uh, but the plan for the uh 2017 uh year-end numbers is to see if i can manage to get um sam tj and uh eric and james all on just to get kind of the the recap uh, of the year from from you know sam and tj's perspective but also throw in that retailer perspective from the guys at cowabunga it was something uh, Eric had suggested, and I think it's a great idea because I think there's a lot that happens over the course of the year, and I think as readers we see one point of it, retailers see another, creators yet another, publishers yet another, and such. So getting a couple of different viewpoints on, I think will be a lot of fun. Yeah, that will be fun. But it, it took me a little while to dust off my process for the year-end numbers because I hadn't had to use it for <laughs> yeah. about two years. Yeah, and you've you've revamped revamped your number crunching since the last time you've done one, right? Yes, I have. So it's like, oh, I don't have a data cleaning process the the current one for this. So I had to had to write some of that over the weekend. So it was it was fun. It was good. But I've got about I've gotten a hundred comics this year already, um, and I've read about forty one of them. Um, but it was it was a little bit of a sizable week uh, this time with about fifty nine uh, ish comics coming in. Plus uh, another 11 uh, back issues that came kind of highly recommended yeah. that I've added to the list. But it's one of those that uh, when I hit that point of the month where I've got to go crunch the numbers and, and record and edit those episodes, it it just eats up a little bit more of my time. Oh, yeah, definitely. But means I've got plenty to read, so not a bad thing. So the uh, preview spotlight deadline is going to be February 10th, that Saturday morning, bright and early, or at least as bright and early as I get up. Hopefully there's plenty of cool things uh, that'll come out in the solicits that should be coming out any day now online. But you got plenty of time to, to get the picks in. If you want to get them in early, that'd be great. Unsurprisingly, this last time around, because of the holidays and stuff, everybody, for the most part, was, was really uh, cutting it close to the deadline, myself included. So I, I totally get it. Um, and then we just had the, uh, the comic book page teleconference. Uh, had a really good discussion. It was, let's see, um, Don, Sam, and who's the, the, let's see, Spidey Saves the Day, uh, is it, with everybody having the alias on the forum and the real name when we talked to them, it's so confusing. <laughs> there were, to- there were four of us. It was good conversation. It was fun. And I apologize to whoever's name is, is slipping my mind at the moment. Uh, we'll be doing another one of these, uh, February 17th. That's the Saturday after the preview spotlight deadline. We're going to do it at 7 p.m. Central Time, as always. Uh, there's instructions on the forum as to how to get uh, in contact with me on Skype. And it's basically starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. I'm sitting around, and first person who comes in, we start the call. We start talking about whatever we talk about. We add new people in as they, they come and stuff. It's a lot of fun. We talked uh, we talk about difference between cartoonists and comic book artists and a variety of other subjects that uh, I'm blanking on at the moment. Um, That's why you got to come and, and join the conversation so you get to know what, what happened. Exactly. You want to know? C- come. Exactly. Yeah. Now, we have. I, I had to uh, rush and set my DVR because we have Black Lightning, a new CW show starting this week, correct? 
Correct. Kind of uh, interested to see what that is all about. We did a, we did a review of that comic not so long ago, so I'm interested to see how they do with his origin, if that's even included in in that first first episode. And then uh, Black Panther's coming out pretty soon, isn't it? In the theaters, Could so Black be. Lightning and on TV and Black Panther in in the theaters soon. Um, I'm not sure when Black Panther comes out. I still haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, Justice League, or um. Or the the new Star Wars film, I'm no. behind on my movies. Yeah, I, I I am behind. I haven't seen the Thor or Justice League yet, so I'm I'm missing those two as well. At some point, I'll watch them. My sister and I, and we'll do episodes on all of it. It's just for some of them, we wait for the uh, the Blu-ray. It's just a lot more easier and convenient to do that. And uh, there's also just so much television to be watching too. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to let stuff build up on your DVR <laughs> to go out to the theaters to see something. Well, we've been trying to stay current on the CW shows and one or two others. Yeah, and you were totally right about um, Crisis on Earth X, by the way. That's totally fun. A totally fun crossover. I loved it. Yeah. Good call on that. Uh, While those shows were on hiatus, we caught up on Lethal Weapon, which we're now an episode or two behind on. We are in the process of marathoning um, Runaways. Uh, we've probably got two more evenings on that, maybe a little more, depending how many other things we try to sneak in and stay current on. That's Hulu? Yes, that's Hulu. Okay. All right. I get to watch that one. Um, and Lethal Weapon, I do not watch. You're missing some good stuff. I know, but there's. You got to pick and choose, is what it comes down to. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you got to leave. You're, you're leaving. Just like in comics, there are really, really good comics that I don't read. Absolutely. Um, I and I'm sure there's dozens of them that I don't read. And if only, if only there was a little bit more time. Yeah, that's 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 the problem. It's a good one to have, but uh there's just so much coming out both with comics and uh and movies and TV. You pick what works for you and and enjoy it. It is a golden age of entertainment. Yep. Thanks for listening to John Mayo and I review a DC, a Marvel and a other publishers book. We do that each and every week. If you enjoyed that, and uh, check back here. And you can also check out John's podcast, The Weekly Comic Spotlight. Check him out at the, uh, the comic book page website. Thank you guys for listening. Drew signing off.